Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people just like you who are doing great things in the world. I have two guests today broadcasting live from the Cleveland Clinic, Dr. Michael Roizen and Chef Jim Perko, who is the executive chef there. He's going to be making some recipes, and Dr. Roizen is going to be talking about how to do intermittent fasting right. Now, this is a book called What to Eat When that I have from Dr. Roizen, and it's a wonderful book, and they have made a cookbook based on this book. And so, you're going to see that just in a moment, but first let me introduce the guests. First, Dr. Michael Roizen, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so happy for your success on the book already. I see it's a bestseller. Thank you, Chef AJ. You um, want to hold I, the book up? Hold the book up while you talk. Chef, we're, we're privileged to be here. I'm, I'm Dr. Mike Roizen, and that's Chef Jim. He's going to leave, so I'm going to say goodbye to you. He's going to come back and cook. And that way I can take my mask off. That's terrific. How, 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 is, how are things for you right now with the pandemic? Are you doing okay? Um, I'm doing fine. Even Chef Jim's doing fine. We're doing good. Thank That's you. That's great. Well, I, I noticed your book is climbing in the numbers. It's already the number one in new release and it's, it's, it's climbing. So I'll, I'll post a link if people are interested in buying it. But I think you have a presentation you want to share. And I'm so interested in this topic of intermittent fasting because I recently interviewed 40 experts, mostly gastroenterologists for a summit that I'm hosting next month called the GI Health Summit. And intermittent fasting, is it, it seems to be linked to so many things, not just losing weight and, and longevity, but even our gut health. And so I know that this is something that you're very versed in. Yeah, and in fact, um, for your GI symposium, as you know, the microbiome has a circadian rhythm as well. So I'm sure you're going to talk about that. We don't know, it, to my knowledge, we don't know yet what to do with that, with the data on the gut microbiome circadian rhythm, because we don't know how to manipulate it in a way that's beneficial yet but we know a lot about how to make intermittent fasting healthy for you, and we'll talk about that. I I'm gonna talk a little bit about longevity, a little bit about why the recipes arose as they did, and then we're gonna have a couple really simple, um, what I would call decadent recipes that are absolutely healthy from Chef Jim. You know, I'm not sure that, that, that everyone knows this, but, but you know, a lot of our viewers are big fans of Dr. Esselstyn, and you're actually his boss, aren't you? Well, I was his boss, I, and I did recruit him. I recruited him um, to the Wellness Institute. I've now gone emeritus, so I've gotten rid of 15 hours of meetings a week, which is uh, the best thing I ever could have done. Um, I should have known to do it earlier but I didn't. Um, but anyway, uh, getting rid of all those uh, administrative meetings is a good thing. That's great. Well, I, I, I appreciate your work because a lot of people don't know you, you were so responsible for getting the sugar out of the Cleveland Clinic. Um, that's true that uh, we, we, we took all the, uh, we first did cigarettes, then we did uh, anything that was straight sugar in a drink and uh, gradually we're moving to uh, what you would what you would call actually totally a healthy uh, diet for both uh, employees, visitors, and patients. I don't know why more doctors and hospitals don't follow your lead. Well, it's not easy to do with the um, purveyors of food for hospitals. There are about five major purveyors, and. Uh, you take it out and they and they bring it back in. It's actually an amazing uh, 
craziness of, of uh, we, we, Toby Cosgrove as our CEO was tough enough that every time they brought one in, they, he fired them. And so we're now on our fourth different purveyor in uh, the last 12 years. Yeah. I'm just surprised how some of the worst food imaginable is served to patients at hospitals and available in the cafeteria. It, it, it floors me. Well, the cafeteria we've got much better control of than actually the patient floors, um, but we're getting there. Um, one of the, the most interesting things is this all started when one of my patients actually um, ca called me. He, he had just had... Uh, um, heart bypass surgery. He was a patient from California that I saw in executive health and we got him into uh, have a bypass within the and a valve within a couple days and then he called me the ne the morning after surgery and said hey look at this and, he, and he, he took a picture on his iPhone and sent it to me and it was white toast bacon and eggs um, so uh we, so I called Toby and I said, we've got to change this. And he said, you're in charge of it. And, and so that, that, that let us, uh, at least we've got, for uh, some parts of the patient food, we've got total control over. I'll never forget, I had a coworker once that was in the emergency room and he presented with chest pain and all kinds of symptoms and they were waiting for his test. They said, well, either you're diabetic or you had a heart attack or both. And while they were waiting, they fed him dinner and it was beef stew apple pie and uh, buttered noodles, you know, white noodles and some milk. So they, they, uh, they, were, <laughs> they were able to stimulate more business. We actually considered that uh, one, of our, one of the chefs who won the Iron Chef contest um, in Cleveland is uh, one of our biggest uh, providers. Interesting. You know, when I was a freshman in 1970. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, a little slow on the uptake. I, when I was a freshman at the University of Pennsylvania in 1977, there was a, and I don't know if it's still there, a McDonald's in the lobby of Children's Hospital. Um, it, as of uh, two years ago, it was still there. Um, McDonald's had long contracts. So in fact, Toby Cosgrove's first move after I became uh, chief, well, I, after I signed the contract, it, I signed the contract at 7 a.m. at 8 a.m., he went over and he told McDonald's they were getting out of there, gave them a letter, and they um, they very nicely and politely sent a letter back. Our contract is longer than yours, and so Toby <laughs> and you can't get us out that bad. So it was it was so Toby had a letter on the corner of his desk. They invited him. You know, he went up to McDonald's, you hamburger, you to try and uh, convince them about um, making better food. Um, this is all in the public record, so I can, I can say it again, but anyway, he went up there and then they, uh, they, on September 1st, 2016, they could, he could get them out. This was 2004, 12 years longer, their contract lasted, had to give him a year notice. And so the proudest moment, I think one of his proud moments as CEO is on September 1st, 2015, he got McDonald's out of the Cleveland Clinic. That's fantastic. It's actually a, uh, it's a restaurant is now in there, Aladdin, that I take uh, Essie and his wife to um, on their anniversary every year, around July 7th, June 17th. That's neat. So That's neat. It's, it's, 
it, it's a healthy restaurant we put in there. That's neat. When did you start getting interested in intermittent fasting? Well, the data started coming out around 2008 in animals. And by 2016, 17, we had enough data in humans that I said to Dr. Krupain, we ought to publicize this. You ought to publicize it on the Dr. Osho. I said it to Mehmet. And he said, let's see the data. And so we wrote up the data and in writing it up, we wrote what to eat when, the book. And you'll see, I think there are probably 700 references in uh, what to eat when um, on uh, different foods for different disease states, re reversing them as well as preventing them and on intermittent fasting. But it really was the intermittent fasting that motivated that book. And that's what we'll talk about. Yeah, I love it because because so many people say, oh, you got to eat all day, got to eat six meals. And that's not what it, the research is showing, is it? No. And in fact, um, as we'll talk about doing intermittent fasting, right, your circadian rhythm, that is what happens with the sun sets what you should do in intermittent fasting. So not eating when the sun isn't up, that is eating only when the sun is up, is really what happens. And you then get into ketosis but eating during the daytime. The reason you want ketosis, I'm going to go into in a little bit, but it basically it changes which of your genes are on to put in reparative genes. And then when you re-eat during the day, you put in growth genes or turn on growth genes. What about when you live in Alaska where six months it's dark? Can't eat at all then, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, no. The, this is or when the sun is supposed to be up. We have that, su that subtitle because on, on overcast days in Cleveland, we need to eat sometime. Yeah, that's funny. And, you know, I, I just want to let people know you also work with another dear friend of mine, Dr. Rosanna Alviera. Oh, she's magnificent. What a, what a delightful person. She and I run a conference in December that's online this year. So it's always the first weekend in December. It's usually at one of the hotels in Las Vegas, the Four Seasons, and they change the food for that weekend totally. And they make, in fact, uh, the food that is Esselstyn and, uh, if you will, what we call Cleveland Clinic Go Wellness um, Healthy that weekend. But she and I do it. It's, we're now online. So you, if you go to Cleveland Clinic, I think it's Cleveland Clinic CME, um, I, I better, I probably don't get it right, but it's clevelandclinic.org um, slash CME slash wellness. And you can sign up for that. It's an online conference that focuses on wellness. We're actually focusing on longevity, skin, hair, and bones this year. So there's a lot of data on, uh, on what to do for skin, hair, and bones. And, and we're changing longevity as you'll hear. I'm giving you 15 minutes of longevity talk today um, in this uh, food talk. Nice. Did you want to start your presentation, Dr. Royson? Let's go ahead. So I'm going to try and do screen share, Chef AJ. Um, you have been so, you know, I want to, I don't know, I'm sure your listeners know how important you've been to getting the whole field moving and to getting it to be more popular. So all of us, you know, I've done a little science, but all of us owe you a debt of gratitude because getting behavior change is much tougher than knowing what to do. And you've gotten behavior change. So thank you. Thank you. I just like to make delicious recipes that people will enjoy and they just happen to be healthy. 
Uh, that's a great thing. So hopefully we'll share this now. And yep. it's working. Good. And yeah. uh, so we're talking, this is the What to Eat When cookbook. And um, What to Eat When was the original article. Um, it really is a strategic plan to improve your health and life through food. And as you can see, uh, Chef Jim Perko created about half of the recipes. Dr. Krupain created most of the other half. I think I created two recipes in there. Um, but the good news is they made it in a way such that I could cook it. I'm an amateur. And the other thing that goes in here is it's a book uh, that has a lot of technique because Chef Jim, as I like to call him, Chef Jim um, said the most, and keeps saying the most important ingredient in any recipe is the technique with which it's created. So um, technique in cooking is really important and he'll talk to you a little bit about it. I see he's got some broccoli behind me. One of my favorite things in how to make broccoli crisp and keep it crisp is one of the tricks he'll tell you about. So what we're gonna do is focus on intermittent fasting and I've got a, about 10 points. Our response to the sun over centuries causes your circadian rhythm. And your circadian rhythm's job, that is your response to the sun, is to get to do the right things at the right time. For example, sleep in the evening out of circadian rhythm, it changes when you secrete melatonin and also adenosine. Your circadian rhythm sets you up to be more metabolically active during the day. It wants you to be a hunter-gatherer during the day that's how it evolved. That means that eat with the sun and eat more early, less later is really a form of intermittent fasting. If you don't eat between 7 p.m. and 10 or 11 a.m., that's getting that 16 hours that sets off ketosis and does intermittent fasting right. So intermittent fasting done right is really what we call the when way of eating. Most people are making two mistakes during intermittent fasting. A big late meal, that is they eat their biggest meal late, wrong. So one of the keys is to eat 80% of your calories before 3 p.m. The second mistake people make is concentrating only on the when and not enough on the what. They don't do, in fact, enough plants and even enough um, if you will, uh, seafood and salmon. Food is a relationship. That is, you should only eat food you love that loves you back. You wouldn't marry someone who's trying to kill you. You shouldn't eat food that's trying to kill you. So food is just like a marriage. Only eat food that you love and that loves your body back. Eating the win way is another thing is don't stereotype food. So salmon burgers or cold pasta are great for a first meal and a salad or egg white veggie omelet is great for a last meal. So we really wrote what to eat when to publicize the science, to do what you do, Chef AJ, so well, get the science and get technique out there. We wrote the cookbook. <coughs> excuse me, to help people easily and deliciously follow the science to live younger, longer. 
and we'll demo a, a recipe or two as we go through. So I wanna just go a little bit into longevity. We've expanded our life expectancy from 1880 to 2020 by two and a half years every 10 years. But we believe longevity will be the next disruptor and the greatest disruptor. And you can be part, everyone listening can be part of designing the future. What do we mean by that? We've gained two and a half years every 10 years, but we're going to get a big leap forward, we believe. This is the curve since 1880. If you see, it's gone up in a relatively straight line. Women always a little longer life expectancy than men. The first 60 years were improvements in population health and childhood diseases, such as immunization. The last 60 years have been due to health improvements in the older population. We now believe that the next 60 years will be understanding the mechanisms of aging. Now, a pandemic always shortens life expectancy at birth pretty radically. 1917 was around 50 years for both men and women, went down by 12 years in both men and women in the year after the pandemic or when it started to hit, but within two years it had rebounded. A pandemic shortens life expectancy and population growth, but even though we lost two and a half percent of the population, we rebounded fast. We're now experiencing two pandemics, both opioids and COVID-19. We expect that we will rebound quickly. So life expectancy, two and a half years longer every 10 years, but there's going to be an exponential kick in the next 10 years. Um, people can change behavior and prepare for this grade eight, what we call grade age reboot. We think you're going to be able to make yourself 30 years younger, if you will, in the next decade. What does that mean? Instead of living to, if you will, instead of 60 being the new 40, it's going to be 90 is the new 40. So you're going to function with a much longer middle age or much younger middle age. Um, and at 90, you'll probably still be working in 10 years. Meaning from, from 2030 on, um, most 90 year olds will still be able to be working vibrant. So you're going to make yourself much younger as I'll show you in a little bit. That's why we think longevity is the next disruptor and we can all be part of designing this. We now know that all genes do is make proteins or watch other genes and which genes are on or off are largely under your control. When the Genome Project started, we thought we had enough DNA base pairs for roughly 300,000 genes, but they only found 22,500 for, for us humans, if you will. So what was the other, the large other part of the base pairs? It was actually switches, epigenetic switches that turned on or off your genes. And they're still there. They're in the silent part of the genome. So 22,000 are unraveled and attracting mRNA, which produces proteins by lining up against them. Whereas the heterochromatin, the thimble part, is the largest part of the gene. So 1,500 of your genes are active, 21,000 are inactive in this part, and the switches you have, that largest part of the DNA, controls which of your genes are on or off. But when you were an eight cell organism, you had genes that gave you perfect settings. 
perfect settings for you. That is without errors. You still have those genes and they're in the silent part. And what's incredible is now six groups have unraveled those to make you and to reset your, if you will, your operating system, at least if you're an animal, guinea pig, beagle dogs, mice, rats, um, and one other species has been made to be as young as they were when that is their um, setting, gene settings back to um, the eighth stage area. What does that mean? You could create, you could take a fat cell and make it into a heart cell, or you could take a bone cell and make it into a brain cell. That's where we are in animals, and we'll show you a little bit more of that. This is what we know to do now, and this is just stress management. N1 is before the stress management, N2 is 16 weeks later, M is a year later, and you see this is called the heat map because the genes that are on are red. So these are strips of genes from 50 different people, same 50 people 16 weeks later and a year later. And you can see these genes were on and got turned off. Conversely, these that were off largely got turned on. It's not perfect. People don't do stress management perfectly. But what that means is they turned off these genes up here, which are largely produce inflammation in the body or inflammatory proteins. They turned those off and they turned on down here, the anti-inflammatory genes. You get to do that. And food is the second most powerful thing at doing that after stress management. The embryonic reboot, as I said, involves turning on some of the genes that are off, that are localized here in that off portion. Now, where we are now, our mitochondria are energy factories. They take glucose or fat and produce ATP. What happens that gives them errors that we need to reboot them? What happens is we take food and we take too much food, too much sugar, um, or too much total calories um, at uh, um, once. And what happens is they produce, if you will, um, ATP, but they also produce in the process free radicals and those free radicals cause damage to the DNA. And then when the cell duplicates, it duplicates itself with all that damage. So what do we know now of how to slow aging? Well, we can slow aging by smaller meals, less sugar in our meals. But with an embryonic reboot, you can copy the cell you had near birth with none of the errors. You get a new cell. So instead of feeling less energy as people do as they get older, you get a new reboot and you will feel more energy. They've done this with um, mice. And this shows these are the four genes that are called the Yamanaka factor genes because Dr. Yamanaka discovered how to put them back to youth. When you turn on all four, you actually get way back to eight cell, that is you get really young, but unfortunately you develop cancer um, within a couple of years of animal years. But if you only turn on three of the four, and we don't know which three, the, those six groups are holding it tight to their chest, it's part of their intellectual property. But if you turn on three of these four, 
the mice become young, their pancreases, their muscles, all of their organs, save one organ, become young. We'll get to a question about which organ that is in a second. So I always disclose my conflicts of interest in my, uh, uh, in my talk. So I did write these books. Um, the real claim to fame is Real Age Displaced Harry Potter for Seven Days when it came out as number one on Amazon. Um, when, uh, if you will, you, you, the owner's manual came out at Displaced Harry Potter for 35 days and you on a diet, which shows you how important food choices are displaced Harry Potter for still the world record, 177 days on Amazon as number one. Um, aging is a concern. She's concerned about aging. For those of you who speak Portuguese or Spanish, you can see it's talking about how old she is and how to get younger. I've been on the cover of Asia five times. If you're a guy, it's the National Magazine of Brazil, but if you're a guy, you can't find me. I'm up in the upper left-hand corner. Um, so in the latest two books, as you, we've talked about, are what to eat when. So we're going to talk about five questions now or so. And this one I'm not giving you the answer to yet, but it is what was Elvis's major contribution to society? We'll get back to that, but I want you to think about it and actually how much was it worth to America? Remember, Elvis went into the military in 1956. Um, he was one of the people who showed that uh, there was no deferment in that era. Um, everyone went in who actually had, except for, uh, I guess, a few people like our president. What is, what's intermittent fasting? Is it not eating for 18 hours of every 24? Is it nothing but water for two or more days? Is it getting to ketosis any way you can, healthfully or not? Is it a mimicking diet that gets 750 calories a day for five days? Um, well, it is all of those. Now, what organ hasn't been able to be rebooted? By the way, although it's all of those, those aren't all healthy ways of doing intermittent fasting. And as we've said, those big meals at the end of the day and not concentrating on the what, just concentrating on the when, is not the right way of doing it healthily. Um, what organ hasn't been able to be rebooted back to youth? Is it the heart, the brain, the kidney, the liver, or the bladder? Take a minute to think about it. The liver complex synthesis, as well as getting rid of waste, a bladder, a muscle that's, that squeezes, as well as control. And you got to know when you're going to have to use your bladder. The kidney, it produces urine. It gets rid of a lot of things. The brain, it's got cells that think and talk to one another, or the heart with valves and muscles and an electrical system. Well, all of those, save the brain, have been able to be recreated. And they're working on the brain too. So, but for now, you've got to protect your brain. Um, how many choices have been shown to uh, slow or even reverse brain aging? None. Four, eight, 16, or at least 32? Well, the answer is at least 32. Actually, we know you can do to stay healthy longer or younger longer. Remember, by 2030, with an 80 to 90% probability, you're going to be able to do what those mice 
guinea pigs and dogs have been able to be due and reversed to a much younger age. And by the way, those were done at UC San Diego and Davis or at Harvard and MIT, one in, in uh, Sweden, and they've been recently repeated at Hopkins and in Switzerland. So this is real science. Um, and the brain aging, it's 32 choices. And so the 32 choices, we could go through them, but they're everything from managing stress to doing four components, doing speed of processing game is number 14, eating salmon, ocean trout, or 900 milligrams of DHA, um, eating only when the sun is up. In fact, if you look at it, eight of the 32 involve food. So there are eight of the 32. It's the most important next to stress management of all the things in changing the genes and in keeping your brain young. An article recently on uh, lifestyle and genetic risk showed that just five lifestyle choices, and you notice number one was healthy food choices and portion size, and number five is moderate alcohol. Just those five things decreased dementia risk, and they weren't tightly managed, but just those five, 30 minutes of exercise five days a week, talking to six friends a uh, month. Not really tight, but decreased dementia risk by 60%. In another study of two older populations published, as you see, in June of this year, um, if you look at it, um, during five years, six years of follow-up here, and about 5.8 here and six here, um, they decreased dementia risk by 90% if they did those tightly. But just doing food rigorously, that is doing what we call the what to eat when diet or the you on a diet or what you teach Chef AJ in as a diet, doing those things. That is basically it's a pesca Mediterranean with less red meat and, and a little less oil and a lot and no sugar added um, and no um, dairy had a 60% um, reduction in dementia risk over that six year period by that alone, no matter what your genes were, even if you were E4, E4, the highest risk group for dementia and Alzheimer's, 60% reduction by that alone. So diet is important. That's why we talk about um, the intermittent fasting. I've already gone over the outline of where we're gonna go. So let's just start to go there. So when we talk about it, you should eat food that you love. So I've got a picture of in the kitchen with Chef Jim and me. Um, we do an episode every week. Um, it's posted on Vimeo. Um, and this time, and I'll send you the links, um, uh, Chef AJ, but this is how do you make broccoli with ginger tahini and satay sauce? It's absolutely exquisitely delicious. I have it, it's, it's one of my favorite lunches. Um, it's also can be a favorite dinner because it's not very many calories. It is great. And so what you want in food is something you love and that loves you back. This loves you back. Another, and, and we go through um, in the book as well as um, in our uh, videos that broccoli are nutritional powerhouses loaded with vitamin K and calcium anti-cancer effects in multiple interventional studies and give you the references 
So if you want them, you can check them out. This isn't science we made up. This is science that is solidly done. Another one that you're going to see today is a chocolate mousse. Only four ingredients. Do you notice there's no cream, no, if you will, oil. It's a chocolate mousse that is exquisite. In fact, the first time uh, Jim and I made it together, I could not believe it. Um, it was so good and so easy to make. He's going to show you it in a few minutes. Major joys, no eggs, no cream, uh, great chocolate polyphenols that increase arterial functioning. We often say they end up delivering more blood to every part of your body, your brain, your heart, even your uh, orgasms are better with chocolate. Um, and there are lots of ways to make chocolate mousse, but as you can see, this version is, and this is the quote right from uh, the book. And so I'm just showing you that we have this in the book. Um, and even without the added fat and eggs, you'll find this dessert decadent and satisfying. So hopefully people will uh, see it and decide to copy it. Now you should only eat food you can have a loving relationship with. What's wrong with red meat and eggs and fish and cheese? They change the bacteria inside your gut to produce trimethylamine. That is the bacteria that love red meat and egg yolks and fish and cheese, love um, those, um, actually it is the um, amino acids that come with those foods that come with saturated fat. So the carnitine, lecithin and choline. So someone said, can I have red meat that's, um, if you will, grain fed? No, it's the carnitine. It's not the amino, it's not the fats with it. It's actually the proteins with the red meat or in the egg yolks or in the cheese that change the bacteria inside your gut to produce something that's very inflammatory. And I thought we'd go over the problems with added sugar quickly. Um, so there are three major problems from too high a blood sugar level. One is you accumulate fat in your middle called visceral fat that causes inflammation in you just like the red meat does by changing the bacteria. The second is blood glucose attaches to proteins like hemoglobin. So all hemoglobin A1C is, is hemoglobin with a sugar attached in the A1C position that makes those proteins less functional. So a protein, the, the grout protein, which keeps the endothelial cells, the cells inside and lining your arteries together, if they get sugar on them in too high a concentration, it weakens that junction. So normal blood pressure can tear it apart and you have to repair it. You repair it with LDL cholesterol. So this is the inside of an artery, and these are schematically the endothelial cells, and they're headed together by this grout protein. But if, but if sugar gets on it, it weakens that grout protein, and you'll notice what happens, I think. If I can get it. Yeah, there it is. And you see that's a tear, and you repair that tear with this yellow stuff, which is LDL cholesterol. You then get inflammation from red meat or the egg yolks, bango, it ruptured. And when it ruptures, it attracts a lattice network of platelets 
these are triangle things, they attract clotting factors, and together they stop those red things called red cells. And that's a heart attack or stroke or impotence or a wrinkle. Is there any difference between a wrinkle and a heart attack or impotence and a heart attack? No, it's just the artery that this occurred in, but it's the same process. And what started it? It was excess sugar, which got on the grout protein, made worse by the red meat or the egg yolks or the cheese or the <laughs> abdominal fat that caused the inflammation that caused the plaque to rupture. You get to control all of that. You get to control all of that. And chefs, AJ's food does that. So does, if you will, the what to eat when cookbook food. <clears throat> so there's three major problems from too high a blood sugar level. You accumulate fat in your middle. That causes inflammation in you. Blood glucose attaches to proteins like the hemoglobin A1C and the grout protein making those proteins less functional. The hemoglobin A1C doesn't release oxygen as well, causing kidney disease, stroke, um, brain dysfunction, and ulcers in diabetics. And it chronically, I already told you about this, presenting too much sugar to your mitochondria causes more free radicals, which causes more damage, which causes you to feel less energy at any age. And as we said, you're going to be able to get a reboot, we think, in that. That's what happened. Normally, the cells are damaged to wear out, they make their own replacements. That's by having less sugar and you need to prepare for that now, and you can. But pretty soon, we're all going to be able to do a reboot. It's been done in six different species now. We think it's now being just first trials in humans. It looks like we're going to be able to be, have a lot more middle age. That is, we you can't take the rats back to um, eight days old. You take them back to about 40 days old. That's the equivalent of making us 30 or 40 years old and getting to live 20 or 30 years longer in our productive life. And that involves turning on some of your genes that were off. So, um, that's the three problems with too high a blood sugar level. I'm going to now talk a little bit about why the circadian rhythm is so important. So it is because you become insulin resistant during the day. That is the circadian rhythm changes hormones so that we're better eating before 3 p.m. than after 3 p.m. Before 3 p.m., say around 11 a.m., a calorie is like nine-tenths of a calorie. So a calorie isn't a calorie isn't a calorie. It is in the test tube. But in your body, a calorie before 3 p.m. is less than a calorie. A calorie after 3 p.m. becomes more of a calorie. So eating the same amount of food earlier, you will lose weight. If you don't, if you eat it later, it means more sugar stays in your blood, and that causes those three problems we just went into. So Drosophila, you say, what are you showing me a Drosophila study for? Because Drosophila have the heart that is just like humans. And when Drosophila are fed 24 hours a day, they don't sleep as well, they increase their cardiac difficulty, and they gain weight. 
but when they eat in a restricted fashion during the time they should be up, everything gets better. That led, and that was, as you saw, early studies um, in, this was 2017, but this started in 2008, and recently these studies have been done in humans. So this is a group in Spain where they either, they ate the same number of calories, 1,400 a day, it was a weight loss group, but eating the calories in the morning as opposed to in the evening caused them to lose 25% more weight. Huge difference by eating earlier rather than later. That's because your body, the circadian rhythm, sets you up to eat and to have a faster metabolism early. So this is what happens when we eat carbohydrates. We use them, we produce a lot of energy. And the extra ones we store. We store these and, and into what we call carb storage, and you only have so much carb storage. So you're going to run out of that eventually. And the body will use all the sugar and all the carbs it can, but then it stores the rest. Now, when you don't have any carbs, that's the ketosis at night. You bring out all the carbs you have in storage. When you run out of carbs, if you will, you then turn towards using fat. And that is, in fact, you turn on your fat, which actually changes which of your genes are on to be a much more reparative set of genes, as we'll show you in a few seconds. Let's first go to Chef Jim, though, and he's going to show you initially a garden shive bean dip. And if you will, that's what it'll look like. And this is the recipe from the book. So I'm going to go away from uh, screen sharing and we'll show uh, Chef Jim doing a cooking demonstration. So Chef Jim, get there. I'm gonna put my mask on. I know you've got yours on now again. So we'll put it on and you go there and I'm gonna focus it and then go away. So you're gonna talk, where are you gonna work? I'm gonna work right here, Josh. Okay. And, uh, just gonna talk for a minute, but, uh, can you? Okay, you gotta speak loudly so they can hear you. And you can take your mask off because I'm going away. Okay. Chef Jim, do you what 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 do you make? What do you do at the Cleveland Clinic? Okay, so I'm gonna mask now. So hi, Chef AJ. So. I work for the, in the Center of Integrative and Lifestyle Medicine, and I'm just going to tilt this up a little bit, I think, just a smidget right about there. And so uh, I, this is my 35th year with Cleveland Clinic. I was in restaurants, hotels, and clubs, and uh, 35 years in healthcare now. But it's been 12 years with Dr. Royzen, and I heard that you mentioned Dr. Esselstyn, so I've been do, working with Essie and doing his patients for 15 years, okay? And as you know, Essie is a no oil person, right? I also heard you mention about Roseanne. And so Roseanne and I, last year at Dr. Mike's medical conference, we presented a program, a session just on culinary medicine. And so what I've been trying to do is develop culinary medicine curricula for the Cleveland Clinic Enterprise. Now, culinary medicine, lately it seems like it's turned into a buzzword, and there's many different depictions of what culinary medicine can be. But 
but I'm trying to create and develop for Cleveland Clinic as culinary medicine, that it is the evidence-based science. Now the science is across the board, right? Do you have oil or not? Gluten or not? And so on. You know, one doc says this, one doc says that, and, you know, science is across the board. So we try to take the strongest science, right? So it's the evidence-based science of food, nutrition, and medicine combined with the joy and art of cooking. That's culinary medicine. And basically, here's what that means. If you are advised by a physician that you're a celiac, now gluten is not going to love you back, but you still should enjoy your food. So whether you're on a celiac diet, a cardiac diet, a Crohn's diet, a diabetic diet, it doesn't matter what diet you're on, you should be able to enjoy your food. In culinary medicine, how you hold that knife in your hand applies to any diet. So when we create culinary medicine programming, I try to create a technique-driven curriculum. So as Dr. Royson mentioned earlier about the single, you know, the, about the technique part, the single most important ingredient in any recipe is the skill of which it's executed, meaning I could take one recipe, give it to five different people, and I can get five different outcomes from the same recipe. How do you know when it's time to flip or turn? Time and temperature, degree of doneness. We got different pots, different stoves, right? All that stuff, right? So technique-driven is important. So if I could teach somebody how to make something sweet without adding sugar, moist without fat, savory without sodium, bulk without grain, density without meat, how to cook without oil, whatever, then you could do that on any diet. It's a technique that transcends any diet restriction, right? So that's why the techniques are so important. So we're gonna do two recipes today. This first one is a great example of you know, the culinary medicine program that we do. And one of them is a technique on the broccoli and that we're gonna do associated with the recipe. And I'll, I'll talk more about it when I get into it. <clears throat> but this is a garden chive bean dip, okay? So one of the, and, and I'm doing two recipes. This is one I submitted for the book and the chocolate mousse is one that Dr. Michael Crepain submitted for the book. And so I wanted, so that way all the viewers can see Dr. Royson present and then something from me and something from Dr. Crepain. So they'll have something from all three authors in the book. So we're going to start off with, and the reason we thought maybe to do this dip is because a lot of people, if they're working or whatever, they come home, they're hungry and they want something to gnash on right away. So this is a great thing that they could use to gnash on and it'll last easily three days. Okay. So first thing we got, they just get a 12 ounce package of lima beans, right? So legumes are really good, which by the way, th th that touches on a subject, how the science can be across the board, right? So, you know, there's a doc out there named Stephen Gundry who wrote a book called, the, uh, I think The Plant Paradox, and it, uh, Kelly Clarkson, you know, read it, drops a lot of weight on it, and he talked about lectins in legumes, but most people, thought, well, geez, and I'm not going to eat legumes, right? But if you look at all the blue zones in all the countries, that's a mainstay of their diet are legumes, right? But lectins are in there when they're raw. Nobody eats a raw pinnel bean. They cook them, right? So these are lima beans, good source of protein, good source of fiber. Anybody could just buy a bag and just put it in the microwave if they had to. One, two, three, quit, right? So I put the lima beans in a food processor. Green peas. Same deal lemon beans, right? You buy the bag, you put it in. I got a cup of green peas, okay? 
I got a half a cup of artichokes, right? If you get them in a can, rinse them, that goes in, okay? I have five tablespoons of fresh squeezed lemon juice. That goes in, okay? I have a half teaspoon of cumin, an eighth a teaspoon of black pepper. I got two teaspoons of fresh garlic. And by the way, this is a great example of getting more nutrient out of the garlic. So from all the research I ever looked at, that if there's a benefit to garlic, it's in the oil, in the allicin. So when you're going to peel your garlic, rather than people that take it, they go and hit break the clove. Well, when you do that, you got to be careful because if you smash too hard and break it, you release the oil, the oil sticks to the paper, the paper sticks to your finger, and you are losing what science says has the benefit. Instead, you want to try to peel that clove while it's still intact, and you can do that easily. You know, you take a knife, don't sever it, go on one end, roll it out, cut it on the other end without severing it, and it'll roll right out of there. And they also have these tubes and things that you can do to roll it without you know, releasing oil. But, and then once the garlic is peeled, then you can mash it and now you can scrape it and capture the oil or capture what sciences has the benefit to the garlic. Okay, so that we put the garlic in and in all of this here, I only have one teaspoon of salt. You can easily do a half or less if you want. And then we have a half a cup of tahini. Now, we're not adding any other oil to that. When tahini, when you buy it, the oil comes to the top, you can easily drain off the oil and the tahini. So the oil came from the sesame seed in the tahini, right? And that is it for this dip. Uh, there's two more ingredients, but I'm gonna put them in after I blend it, okay? So the tahini goes in, we got our processor, we're going to blend this up now. And this dip is delicious. Totally going to love you back, right? So it's easy to love the foods that promote inflammation. We want to show you how you can enjoy and love foods that fight inflammation. That's what we want to do. I'm just going to stop for a moment, scrape down the side of the bowl, and then pulse it a little bit. Maybe it's all I need. And then this is done. It's that quick that fast, that easy to do. It's good for a solid three days, okay? Okay, so we got our dip, our dip is done, except I'm gonna put this in a bowl now, all right? And I'm just gonna try to get most of it out in the interest of the time here, rather than scraping every little last bit out, just so you guys can see. Okay, I'll set that there. Now we have scallions, fresh scallions, okay, that I find sliced. Scallions go in. And then I have fresh chives, part of the allium family. That goes in. And so now we're just going to fold those in to our garden chive dip. All right. And then now we're going to take this. And here's how I like to serve it. We're going to put this chive dip into a bowl. And mind you, this will stay easy. Easy, easy, three days, you know, in your fridge if you keep it covered. Now, when we, when Dr. Mike mentioned about techniques, this is a technique, okay? This is really important. We got broccoli, okay? And I, and later tonight, I've got a shared medical appointment when you ask, what do I do? So I'm doing culinary medicine. 
share medical appointments are things where we do a group of patients at one time. And I do them for um, breast cancer patients that are cancer survivors. Uh, we do one called culinary medicine for chronic disease. And then we do, uh, we're doing the lifestyle essential ones, which is really like all close to mimicking what Dr. Esselstyn would do. It's low fat for cardiac patients. But in the broccoli, okay, I, so Chef AJ, you know you're a chef, culinary schools teach, right? When you would cook something, they would shock it in cold water, right? Yeah. We don't want to do that because if you take broccoli and you, I'll try to come a little bit closer for the viewers to see. If you shock this in cold water, this florette is like a sponge. And then if I would squeeze it, water would just drip out. So if I made, uh, you know, if I took a vinaigrette or something that I want to make with little oil and I use legumes to macerate them and thicken it to get that body of viscosity with lemon juice or whatever, and garlic, and I, I want to capture the goodness in that bowl, I don't want this to be wet because it would just dilute all the goodness in the bowl. I want it to be dry. So this broccoli is cooked al dente. It's crunchy, but it's in this cloth because I never shocked it in cold water. You could shock it in cold air in your refrigerator, put it on a rack, or you could just put it room temperature and blot it dry like this. Now, I have broccoli that is dry as well as al dente and crunchy. Because it's dry, it will absorb all the goodness of whatever it is I want to put on it. Or like Dr. Mike referred to earlier, one of the recipes in the book was the tahini satay sauce. Because it wouldn't dilute it because it was dry broccoli. That's a culinary medicine technique. Okay, because we want you to enjoy your broccoli and the flavor. So now, instead of having, you know, crackers, whatever, what I like to encourage people to do is I'll take vegetables and, and I have four grandchildren and I do this with them. So we'll take the vegetables and I'll put it, whether it's baba ganoush or whether it's, you know, hummus or whatever, especially this bean dip. And so now what we do is we'll take vegetables and this becomes your dipping implement to dip on, on whatever it is. So now you're getting broccoli plus the legumes and everything that went, you know, the peas, everything that went in here. Totally gonna love you back, right? Yeah, okay. So that's that thing. All right. So now, the next recipe that we're gonna do, this is one that Dr. Kapain submitted to the book, was actually created by a French physical um, um, scientist, uh, Herve, right? And when I was trained, you know, and I always believed that any water and chocolate would seize chocolate, right? Well, this only has two ingredients, really, just water and chocolate, okay? So we have our chocolate here, okay? And got a cup and a half of chocolate. And so the chocolate, what we did was, and I'll show, the chocolate, we took it, we shaved it, right? Like so, and I'll come closer so everybody can see. So here's the chocolate. We shaved the chocolate like so. Right now, by the way, this is dark, bittersweet, 70% cocoa chocolate. Okay, it's Belgian Calvin. All right. So now that goes into the bowl. And then we want to bring our water on top to the simmer. And 
the water, we just take the water and hot water right into the chocolate. It goes in and you just gotta, we gotta keep whisking and whisking and not stop. And that's, I think the key to this is not to stop. And I'm gonna bring this closer so you can see. And what will happen is two ingredients. Here's what we got, just chocolate and water. And now you can see pretty much how thick this is getting. It looks just like a mousse, okay? You know, now you could flavor this, all right? If you wanted to flavor it, you know, so uh, uh, one of the ways you could do, you could take like the zest of an orange and flavor it, right? You know, or you could even add a few puree, a fruit puree if you wanted to. But here we go. Here's our chocolate. We're good. We're done. And you could see, there it is. I'll put some in some stem bread and you'll be able to get a good idea now what this looks like, okay? But most people will be able to do this relatively easy. If you take a banana and you freeze it, it's just like banana ice cream, right? And so you could take this and put it on top of a frozen piece of banana, and instead of having a sundae, you would have that. I'm gonna put this here, mask up, Dr. Royce will come back in, he can talk more, but that's an example of culinary medicine. And so also, Chef AJ, where we're going, I'll leave you with this last piece. One of the things that we're doing that I really want to focus on doing here, and we, we started as we created a culinary medicine consult. So what I do is a culinary medicine consult is I have to capture, it's one-on-one, -on -one, I'm the provider, and I capture first the person's food preferences. I, my wife and I raised two kids, they didn't like the same thing. We have to know their ability to cook and prepare meals, their culinary literacy level. We have to know their, can they stand for a long period of times and so on like that. And then what they have available in their kitchen, everybody's got different stuff and last but not least any dietary restriction. Once we find that out, now we can help them execute a prescribed nutritional consult, be it by a physician or a dietitian. That's the power. If, if we could get more chefs to do that, we could all work closely with docs to help them. So thank you for having us, Chef AJ. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. You're, you're a wonder. I can tell you're a wonderful chef. It absolutely looks amazing. People are asking if there's a way they would be able to get the recipes. I assume buying the book, but they're asking if they could like have them right now and we can put them in the show notes. They look spectacular and not too difficult. I hope you're still here, Dr. Roizen, because I'm, I'm only seeing your slides right now. They're really... Uh easy to do. So let me go um, back to where we left off and uh, show you uh, where these are. So um, I hope can you, uh, you're seeing this. So mm -hmm. um, this is the uh, garden, uh, if you will, chive bean dip. It has just healthy things in it and we go through it. Um, and that's also the chocolate mousse. Again, just water, you can add Grand Marnier if you want to, but it's basically, that's all. Um, now, no eggs, no cream, great chocolate, and uh, we'll give you the, we'll send you the recipe, these two recipes for the show notes, but obviously we have 135, 135 exactly more, 
There are 135, it says there are 135 recipes, but there are three salmon burger recipes, so we will give these for you. One little more data on time-restricted feeding, randomized crossover, four days of eating early in the day versus four days of eating the same calories throughout the day. What happens? Every longevity marker that we knew to measure got better in just four days, as did markers of aging, stem cell repair, and inflammation all improved within four days. Really remarkable. What's happening, and Roseanne teaches this as well, after 10 to 14 hours, you run out of glucose, you start transforming into ketones. Those ketones, no matter what your normal diet, those ketones turn on, if you will, recycling of imperfect cells that suppresses mTOR and turns on brain-derived neurotrophic growth factor. That's like miracle growth for your brain. So what we're doing is repairing other parts of your body and increasing brain cells. The message, the one way of intermittent fasting, time-restricted, is doable, and it's a reasonable way to stay healthy. There's the article reference from the New England Journal. And in every species, where they look at bacteria, yeast, mice, worms, it extends life expectancy a considerable amount of time. What you're really doing is getting rid of the old cells, oops, getting rid of the old cells and producing young cells. So let's see if I can show that again. So you get rid of the old cells, which look older, and the younger cells replace them when you re-eat. That's the hypothesis, and that's actually what happens in your human body. So remember, nutrition is the second most important thing. It is you. Nobody controls what you put in your mouth other than you. It is food that loves you back and a few supplements. It is eat in concert with your circadian rhythm. And the technique of preparation, as Chef Jim Perko showed you, is important. The Ten Commandments, there are ten, but we can go through a few of them. Eat only when the sun is out, more early, less later. Stop stereotyping food. So cold pasta, fine in the morning, or salmon burger, salad, or uh, egg white uh, with veggies, fine in the evening. You can eat well in any situation. You control it, so you get to eat well in any situation. Mistakes shouldn't disrail you. Eat with the sun. The sun comes up every day. Every day is another chance to do it right. And if you do it four days in a row, just like the science said, you actually sleep better, you're not hungry at night, and you have more energy. And remember, key point, food is a relationship. You've got to love what you eat and make sure it loves you back. So that's what we think is doing intermittent fasting right. It is the when way of eating. That is your circadian rhythm set you up to be more metabolically active. The one way of eating, that is what we had in the cookbook and in the book, is in fact a healthy way of doing it. What we did is we wrote that first book, What to Eat When, to publicize the science. We wrote the cookbook so that people could easily and deliciously follow the science to live longer, younger. And again, your nutritional rhythm means eat only when the sun is up, and eat 75% of your calories eight or more hours before bedtime and finish eating three hours before bedtime. Why did I put these specific hours? Because a lot of people will do shift work 
We don't have any data in shift work except in animal models, but this is what works in the animal models as well as the logic for humans. Let's go back to my question. What was Elvis's major contribution to America and how much was it worth? Well, AJ, maybe you should have a contest on this, but in fact, what it was is he got polio vaccine when he went into the army that's the Surgeon General giving it to him. There were only three major networks and PBS in that area. He did it live on all three. You notice he's smiling. You notice the head nurse in the public health service is looking at the Surgeon General. It's the first shot the Surgeon General ever gave. So worried about the Surgeon General passing out. Within So at that time, 0.8% of Americans eligible for the polio vaccine had gotten it. He did it on TV, and within eight months, 83.2% of us who are eligible got it. He cured polio not only in the United States, but in the world. It saves $55 billion a year in medical expenses in the U.S. So my point here is one of the things you can do for your brain to decrease inflammation is to get your flu shot yearly and keep your immunizations up to date. As Linda Bradley says, you can't pour from an empty cup. Take care to take care of yourself first and always. My disclosures, again, we did write this book and we do earn royalties on these books. So we hope you do get them. Thanks very much. And AJ, I'll be glad to uh, answer questions as Great. well. Show Jim. Uh, thank you. Well, I see three questions right now. You had mentioned shift workers. They are that the, the sun is down. So what do they do? Do they just not eat their entire shift? Because I know um, that in no, the weight loss. No, what, what looks like in animal models, we don't have human data, but it is to, and um, the, the basic thing is they eat during their shift, but they don't eat within three hours of going to bed and they eat earlier in their shift more. So eat while they're awake. So they've changed their circadian rhythm because of the light effect they're working in, in blue wavelength lights. Great. And Elizabeth says, what about countries like Europe where people eat really late? They seem pretty healthy. Um, Europe has as much medical disease as we do now. We've exported our bad habits pretty well. Okay. And then what about OMAD, O-M-A-D, one meal a day? Some people are doing that. I've seen people do it for weight loss, but the people that I've known that have done it, they've gained their weight back or ended up with binge eating disorder. Because I think one meal a day, it's not really enough, is it? Well, the point is that if they're eating one meal a day, they're probably eating too much at that one meal. And in fact, taking their, their own, if you will, um, mitochondria and making them older. So it's not, it probably uh, is not the healthiest thing for your body to eat just one big meal. You want to eat um, so that your mitochondria don't get stuffed at once. Right. And here's a question for Chef Jim. People are asking, does the 70% chocolate have sugar in it? And could somebody use a 100%? Because Trader Joe's is now selling a 100% completely unsweetened chocolate. Yeah, you could use that, sure. Absolutely. And one of the ways that we I, like and, and I can tell you one of the privileges of doing these every week with Chef Jim is I get to eat healthy every week. And decadently. So this is, thank you, Chef, for letting us do cook this on, 
uh, your show, Chef AJ. I am. Anytime. Yes, Chef Jim, maybe you'll come back sometime and just do a cooking demo because you're so knowledgeable and obviously a very. Um, for the viewer that asked about the sugar and the chocolate, one of the things we put into the book, a way to sweeten without adding sugar, we created a raisin reduction. Equal parts, cup of raisins, cup of water, three-quarter cup of water, cover pot, 15 minutes, reduces down to about three tablespoons, put it in a blender, you get a raisin paste. What happens is if you eat a prune, you get the dietary fiber, right? Prune's fiber, but you got the sugar attached to the fiber. <laughs> Raisins got protein antioxidants, right? And they also got fiber, you know, so when you do that, you're getting the sugar, but you're also getting this other stuff attached to the sugar. It, it also adds viscosity, it adds density, it adds creaminess, and it's a way to sweeten without adding honey or agave or whatever. And, and people who are on a sugar restriction, in fact, should measure their blood sugar. So if they're diabetic or have a uh, glucose monitor, that's one way of, of monitoring what that does to you, is it's very different from some people have a high blood sugar after the raisin reduction. Most people have no bump in it. Great, and what you do with raisins, I've done with dates, it's wonderful. And uh, uh, Dr. Mike Beverly is asking, is intermittent fasting safe for diabetics? Um, yes, with one caveat. In other words, you've got to monitor yourself so that you don't have a rebound hyperglycemia. So sometimes people will have, and peak glucose is important for diabetics, but yes, it is safe. And in fact, um, this is a way of, the intermittent fasting and weight loss with exercise is a way of reversing type 2 diabetes, not type 1. Type 1, get the continuous glucose monitor and see what it's doing, but it usually makes things over a, a four-day period. You may be erratic, but by two weeks, you'll have settled down and it'll be better control usually. Great. And here's a question for both of you. Do either of you ever get to eat at Essie's house and do you like Anne's food? Um, Jim cooks Ann's food all the time, and I do get to eat uh, there occasionally. Um, and so the answer is, I do like her food. Absolutely. And I like his cooking of her food, too. So <laughs> uh, one Friday a month, I get to see him cook Ann's food, and I get to eat it. That's fantastic. So Dr. Royce, I'm sure you know I've been a vegan for over 43 years and most of my audiences. So we can still do this even if we don't wanna have salmon or egg whites, right? Absolutely. No, 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 it is. And in fact, the, the key point on, on that, since DHA is important and not made by us, is to make sure you get algo, the, the fish don't get it, don't make it either. They get it from algae and plankton, um, which eat the algae. So get it from your algae and there's plenty of algal DHA as well as um, plants such as uh, chia seeds and walnuts, sources of ALA, which gets metabolized in small part to DHA. But DHA is the key for the brain, so get it from algae. That's great. AJ, another tip on the sugar for your viewers, like you mentioned, use dates, because dates are higher on the glycemic index. So like if you use Turkish apricots, they're lower on the glycemic index. But if you make something and you add something like chia seed, you are now adding fat and protein, a healthy fat, which actually takes longer to absorb in your blood than sugar. And therefore you are lowering the glycemic index of that final dish that you're making because things even with naturally occurring sugars 
Dr. Esselstyn has a great saying, it's always better to chew your orange than drink it because you get them more slowly. So adding fat and protein in the form of chia seed or flaxseed will help make those sugars a little less glycemic, whatever it is that they're making. I, I love chia seeds. I think they're, they're so versatile. I use them in dressings and sauces. They're such a great natural thickener. Yeah, and plus they lower the glycemic index of the sugars that are in the recipe. See, I didn't know that. I always learn at least one new thing each each <laughs> broadcast. Uh, Chef Jim, have you ever played around with aquafaba? No. But do you know what it is? No. It's where you take the liquid from beans, like canned beans, and oh, you can actually make meringues right. out of it. Yeah, now I understand, like chickpea water. Yeah, yeah. I didn't understand what you were saying. Uh, I did it once, but I never really do it. No. That's great. Well, I wish you guys uh, every success with this book. I hope it's a huge hit. It already is doing very well, I can see, on Amazon. Well, they ran out of books, so it's going to go down. Um, they actually have it being sold by another company on Amazon now. Um, for a, a discounted price. So the, the good news is it's a discounted price. The bad news is it won't count in our Amazon rating, but we did get in the top 100. Definitely. And it said, you, you, at least last time I checked, you were showing number one in new release. So thank you. So that's good. Well, thank you guys so much. I wanted to say something, Chef Jim. No, I'm good. Just thank you very much. Thank you. That was so great. Well, thank you guys so much. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow when my guest is Clint Pattison, all the way from Australia, talking about reversing rheumatoid arthritis. Thanks again, my friends at the Cleveland Clinic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.